pew, 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 pew. Because, wow. There's your sound effect right there. all, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> It's our last Murdoch from season two. Yep. A lot of people are like, woohoo, Murdoch's almost over. I like Murdoch, I but like I understand Murdoch. not everybody does. It's Thanks not, for sticking with us. It's not for everybody, and we've we've had some converts. Yeah, and maybe they only like it because we make fun of it. I don't know. But next week, Father Brown. The thing about Murdoch is it gets better and better. I think so. Yeah. yeah. You got, But you got to make it through the first couple of seasons. Yep. Mystery Maniacs is a comedy recap podcast dedicated to mystery TV each week. We dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. This week, Murdoch Mysteries, Season 2, Episode 13, Anything You Can Do. I can do better. I can do better. We spoil it. We're going to tell you who did it, so if you haven't watched it and you don't want to know, don't listen yet. If your kid's old enough to join the Mounties, they're certainly old enough to listen to the podcast. I've always wondered what that white cord is that they wear around their necks on top of their red tunics. Yeah. And I finally looked it up. Excellent. It's a lanyard for their gun. Okay. They put their gun in a holster, but they also hook it to a lanyard that they wear around their neck. Yeah. You know why? So if they're swimming or riding. Not swimming. If you swam in a Mountie uniform, you would sink. Wool pants and a wool tunic and big boots. It's just that that hat floating down. Just yeah, no, it's be- yeah, it's because they usually ride horses. Yep. And if you lose the grip on your gun, it would fall. Yep. Right now, the lanyard keeps it from falling. Most lanyards like that would be around your waist, but if you're on a horse and you drop the gun, now the gun is hanging down around your feet. Yes. Right. But if it's around your neck. It's not. Uh-huh. And if it's around your waist and you need to lift the gun to shoot somebody, how far can you lift it? Not very far because no. it's attached to your waist. But if it's from around your neck, you're good to go. There you go. It makes perfect sense. It does. Now that I know what it is. In this episode that is shooty McShooterson. So many shootings. The shooty, 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 shooty. I'm, I'm just glad that Lenny has an unlimited amount of bullets in his pockets. Just pew, pew. Pew, pew. Before we dive in, as a reminder, next week we are moving on to Father Brown season one. And we will start with the Father Brown season one, episode one, remix. Wicky, 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 wicky. <laughs> So what we're going to do is uh, not only will I like take the audio and give it a little shine, make sure it's all good and everything. You're going to zhuzh it? I'll zhuzh it. Because we've already covered episode one from season one. Yep. We covered three episodes from season one. uh, So we're going to rebroadcast a a great portion of that. Now, you should still watch it again because you know what? We're funny. And if you you should still listen to it again. Yeah. And if you re-listen to us, we'll still be funny. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to add a couple of things to it. First thing I'm going to add is uh, because... You're going to edit in the solution to a big mystery. Yep. Solution the big mystery. If you didn't listen to it before, there's a big mystery. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a solution to the big mystery. Yes. And then after the new theme that I'm gonna put it in the end, because I was experimenting with theme at that point in time and it wasn't it wasn't good. No. It wasn't good. Uh but now I like our theme. I love our theme music mm-hmm. now. Uh after the theme, you're gonna get five minutes of never be- heard before audio bloopers. Yep. From all kinds of episodes. Yep. Right from midsummers to everything. It's gonna be well worth a listen. Yep. I I keep the raw audio of every one of our episodes. So <laughs> everything that gets edited out, I save it off to a little file that I call outtakes and including all the times when I go, Oh, you're recording already, aren't you? Yes. Yep. Awesome. Uh so glad you recorded that. At the end of like one of the first <laughs> couple episodes, there's Five minutes of me going so, 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 so. Because so. you say it a lot. I say it all the time. <laughs> so that'll come out the 23rd of October when I get back from Canada because I'm going to Canada this weekend. Well, yeah. the, oh, yes, the weekend coming up. By the way, happy Thanksgiving to our Canadian 
people today. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Well, the day the episode releases, Mm -hmm. it's Canadian Thanksgiving. Do you guys have turkey? Yeah, usually. Like, do you have the traditional American Thanksgiving dinner kind Uh, of thing? Sort of. Again, my mother was not the best cook. But is that the tradition? There, there is tradition to have turkey, like and cranberries, or, and or ham. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's like Christmas dinner-y. So. Okay. But again, <laughs> Madonna. <laughs> She's awesome. She's awesome. Not for cooking. No. Uh, then we're gonna take another week off after that because it's Halloween mm. and the craziness that comes to this house at Halloween. And then return on the 6th of November for episode two, which will be brand new. Brand new. Never covered episode two of Father Brown. I have one recommendation before we get into this. Since it's October and it's spooky time. A podcast that you all should check out. It's called Uncanny. Uncanny? Yeah. That's uncanny. It's a BBC podcast hosted by Danny Robbins, and it is a ghost story podcast. But it's like an investigative ghost story podcast. It's wonderfully creepy yet not gory or you know super scary it's stories about real people there and he oh his voice i'm sorry i love you i love danny <laughs> robbins's voice it's so good anyway go check out uncanny it's really he just came out with a new book too i just listened to it in audio it's great and if you have access to BBC Four uh, TV, they have a new show, too, that we can't see. but Yeah, we can't see it. I'd love to see it. Anyhow, go Spe- listen to Uncanny. Speaking of Halloween, right now, the only place to get Halloween pictures of our house, the only place, is the broadcast channel on Instagram and the newsletter. I have not posted any other pictures anywhere else yet. Oh. You guys are special. <laughs> now, that's going to end probably by the time this is, podcast comes out because <laughs> we got to share. We got to share. We got lots of people in town wanting yeah, to know. Yeah, who want to know? Stuff. Yeah. But, but I just wanted to let you guys know that you got first dibs on those pictures. The theme this year is bad seeds and it's all evil pumpkins. Yes. So. Speaking of anything you can do, I can do better. <laughs> that was quite the transition. Let me Speaking tell you, of bad seeds. If the, I the, was telling you, The Sarah, seeds aren't bad, but the bad is. If I was telling you mm-hmm. about a television show in which a main character who was a Mountie went to the big city to help solve a crime that involved his father and met a detective that he found a kinship with, what show would I be describing? This episode of Murdoch. No. <laughs> what is it? Is a Canadian television show entitled Due South. Ah. Now, Due South was an, a much earlier television show. 90s? Late yeah, 90s? Yeah, it was 94 to 98. Mm. Or, I remember uh, sorry, seeing 94 to promos for it. Yep. It's four seasons. It ran on a network that Murdoch has never run on, which there's not many networks in Canada, but Murdoch's hit most of them, uh, but has not hit this network. And it's set in modern day, of course, but... uh, Prior to Murdoch, my only exposure to Mounties was Dudley Do-Right. Did I tell you the story where I saw the mounted ride the first time? No. It was when I saw the Queen when I was like eight. Uh, Oh, and there were Mounties there? Of course there were. They did the mounted ride the same day so i got to see it was really the canadianness canadia day of all time (laughs) it was like 76 i went to ottawa with my class we saw the queen she came out and shook hands and everything and then we all filed into these stands and watched the mounted police do their mounted police ride is it fancy it was super fancy wow well Pringle Creek, where this episode starts, is not fancy. It is a ghost town. It is indeed a ghost town. And if you doubt where we are, every time we go there in this episode, we get to see the Pringle Creek sign. It's in British Columbia. And what does it have? It has a like a chisel and a, a hammer or yep. something crossed yep. on each side of it. This is a mining town. It's mining town of mining town. Now... I, they got to admit that British Columbia was pretty frontiery mm-hmm. at this point in time. Yeah. It was not the metropolitan city of Toronto. No. That's sure. For sure. And um, so the way BC works is there's the ocean and then there's like a lowland from the ocean and then some foothills and then the Rockies, right? Mm-hmm. And that then the border between British Columbia and Alberta 
kind of intersect the Rockies. Mm-hmm. So you have a number of different environments, but you have a ton of mining because the the Rockies are much more accessible from this side. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that there be a mining town yes. there. It absolutely makes sense there would be a mining town. Including a saloon called the Calico Queen. Yes. And guys with guns. Don't forget the guns. There's guns. Guns, 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 guns. guns. Shooty McShooterson. And Harry. Harry. (laughs) He's not as bad as Enid, but he's the most irredeemable dad in Murdoch. That's for sure. He is, but they try to redeem him here. It doesn't work. Like... Murdoch has, we learned that Murdoch firmly believes that his dad killed his mom. Mm -hmm. And that even though it comes out that he didn't, he was still involved with her death. Yeah, he's not innocent. And Murdoch is just like, oh, I have a brother. I can forget that stuff now. No! (laughs) (laughs) I also think that this is a kind of island of lost toys in the sense that like, obviously, they were like, we're going to do an episode that's like Due South. We're going to do an episode that's like Due South, and there's going to be a Mountie, and he's going to be Murdoch's brother, and isn't that funny? And they figured the rest of it out after that. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually the um, actually brothers show. <laughs> that's what it is. The it whole is, thing. It is definitely that. He talks more like a robot than Murdoch does, which I didn't think was possible. Now, the the directing is pretty good here in that you think uh, Harry's talking about something different than them at the first. Mm -hmm. And the worst kept secret in this episode is that they're brothers. It is the worst kept secret. And that Harry is a raging alcoholic. Yeah. He's like looking for turpentine to drink at one point. Like that's his first priority anyway. But I do like the... The way they unravel the story, they start at the end and then they go back eight days and yes. then they jump back and forth. So you you get the reveal of the story. It's well done. It's not yep. confusing or anything. No, which it no, could no. Be. It's well directed. Yeah, but the they had a they had an agenda with this show, mm. and some of the stuff that isn't important to that genre, agenda just gets some hand waving. Yeah, <laughs> and, and we'll fill in some blanks with the hand waving. Yes. So. So Humphrey Breen, a geologist, is dead. Yes. He just fell out of his window. No, he flew out of his window because he's like 20 feet away from the house. At no point in time could you jump from that window and get as far as he did. We know that Accidental Al is the killer, yes. the actual killer. He he must have th- like picked him up by the back of his jacket and his belt and went one, two, three, woo, and like flung him out the window. He's so far away. That's your first clue that it's a murder. Totally. Because he wasn't just leaning too far. And plus, like, was he like, okay, I'm going to throw you at the window. Hold on to this butterfly butterfly net. net. I think he just planted it next to him after he So that becomes an incredibly funny scene where, where the first of all, Breen comes flying out of the window. (laughs) And then you hear a guy... Down the steps, down the steps, down the steps, out the door, across the porch. Puts down. (laughs) Plants the butterfly net. Butterfly net and the butterfly. Yes. Where did he keep the butterfly? I'm guessing he took it out of one of Breen's cases. Maybe. Plants it. Daintily, carefully. Carefully. And then then, walks away. (laughs) Then he's off again. Off to the next murder. It's Al. He's busy. And Accidental Al may be my favorite character in this episode. We hardly ever see him. A giant house. A giant house. Yes. And he lives in alone. Nobody else in the house noticed accidental Al flying down the stairs (laughs) or heard. Well, he's not, Breen's not married or anything. We never see a wife or family. So he may have a maid or something who, you know, maybe wasn't around. He's got to have at least somebody at this point in time. Ah, Detective Murdoch, my brother. Do you think he knows he's his brother at this point in time? No, they're supposed to not know until no, it's revealed. No, I think he knows all the time because he's You dropped, think Lenny knows all the time? He's dropping hints. I don't think he does. Tell I me think, about your mother. I think they're both supposed to be completely can't see the forest for the trees kind of guys. And maybe he kind of wonders, but come on, he's from Vancouver and- Murdoch's from Toronto. That is 
eight days of travel apart. Yeah. If they have the same dad, the biggest, that would be the biggest coincidence ever. Yeah. Right. It is the biggest coincidence ever. Yes. But he knows his name. So he's obviously taught Harry gave him his name. No, it's the card. Oh, the card. That's right. The business the card. card. Yes. That was in the, the Uriah Dokes's jacket connected to the arm, which was the biggest piece <laughs> of him left after he got run over by a train having been put there by accidental owl. This episode has great names. <laughs> I just love accidental owl. You're right. I wish we got to see more of him. Yes. I wish we got to see him in action. An accidental owl. Is- I just want to think that like, <laughs> like after he throws Breen out the window, he would look at the camera and go, oops, and put his hand over his mouth like, oops, and then. I would say that accidental, <laughs> accidental Al is totally a season six character of Murdoch. <laughs> He's a cartoon is what he yes. is. <laughs> Harry and Murdoch and Lenny basically spend the whole episode trying to get to the mining office to get the explosives. Yeah. Right. I mean, they, they say that's what we're going to do right off the bat because Lenny and Murdoch are of one brain. Like they just click. They go, oh, yes, we can create a bomb yep. if we can get over there. And then we get the back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That happens while they're trying to get there. Yeah. Oh, Julia. First of all, she's one of two women in this episode. There's the woman who runs off the rat catcher. Yes. Who is Al. And there's Julia. And that's, that's it. it. They're the only two women in all of Canada all during of Canada. this time. <laughs> <laughs> Julia shows up at the crime scene for Breen and his butterfly, Giggly. Yeah. In Poundset's carriage. Yes. Talking about how, oh, that was such an adventure. That was so much fun. I have in we my notes. We should do it again. Poundset should go hang out with Enid. <laughs> <laughs> no, because he flies a hot air balloon, and that's just too risky for Enid and Alwyn to get involved in. What if he dies? What if and he then dies? Alwyn would be, you know, a Fatherless tra- again. Again, you know. He can't have any kind of connection to anybody who might possibly have anything bad happen to them because, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and we know I just love hating her. <laughs> this the spice bush swallowtail was also murdered. And Poundset, you know, he's annoying to us because we know he's annoying to Murdoch. Creepy Murdoch. Creepy Murdoch in the morgue with his brother later. We'll get to that. But he he is like he's a fop. I I just think he's really bad at being jealous. He's really awkward at being jealous. I think so, too. And he is very jealous of Poundset and of Lenny when he's talking to Julia. And he doesn't know how to do that. He doesn't know how to be jealous. And and nothing about Murdoch is smooth (laughs) or premeditated. Anything my murder board can do, your murder board can do. (laughs) I can write in chalk, too. Yes. And I, I, what I really like about the similarity between Lenny and Murdoch is how much everybody else recognizes it. Oh, completely. Like everybody's always saying, is there something like, do you, is there a familiarity? Like, do they remind you of each other? And when Murdoch is like, Lenny says he always gets his man. That's so annoying. I can't imagine working with somebody like that. And Tom's like, oh, it's funny. I can. I can imagine working with somebody like that. Hold on, Sarah. There's something I need to talk to you about of a personal nature. I know this is completely the inappropriate yeah. time to do it. <laughs> well, we are in the morgue, and that's where we flirt. So maybe it's not the bad place, but it is the bad time. Ponset's here again. Ponset just appears with his mustache whenever it's not the right time. He does. Okay, it's time to take the streetcar. Did you notice the streetcar? Mm-hmm. To Vanderlei and Breen, cartographers mm. and surveyors. Where Vanderlei says the ore from Pringle Creek wasn't anything special. Yes. Meaning, ain't no there gold in them there hills. Well, luckily, they have a cat to get rid of the rats. <laughs> So it, it is it is Chekhov's rat catcher. Yes. <laughs> and the lady at the barrister's office is like shouting like she's such a loud talker so that it's they have to overhear her. Yeah. Like, no, sir, we don't need a rat catcher. Get out of here. I won't have your kind 
in We the don't hallway. need any of your accidents around here, yes. Al. <laughs> your basket. What's in the basket? What's he actually trying to do? I think it's a cat in the basket. He's trying to weasel his way into an office near Breen and yeah. Vanderlei, right? So yeah. he can kill them. Yeah. So his best plan is to release a cat in the office next door. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> He is. Come on, Al. You're better than that. <laughs> he does do some amazing things. And then he just walks away with his head down. Yeah. Oh, oh, that didn't work. I hope they don't look at me. <laughs> so then it starts. I can tell you. Oh, sorry. I can tell you something special about Pringle Creek. Yes. In Pringle Creek, Star Wars shooting rules apply. Yes. <laughs> it's just like being on the Death Star. When there's a dozen bad guys and one of you, their bullets magically don't hit they you. Just never hit you. Never. Especially if you run a little bit and duck. If you duck. If, if you duck. Thereby making yourself a more concentrated target, they really can't hit you. So I learned about, I wondered. Um, but this is the answer to, okay, so <laughs> much of writing for television or anything that's visual you have to get over talking heads where one character goes, let me explain the situation to you. And the other character goes, why, yes, please explain the situation to me. And the first character says, well, this thing happened and this thing happened. And the second character goes, really? Did it happen? <laughs> like, Yeah, that's boring. That's incredibly boring. So this, <laughs> this gunfight makes it interesting as they just do a bunch of exposition. Right. But so when the the bad guys are shooting at them while they're running around, we get the old trope of the hit, hit, seeing the bullets hit the ground and just missing them. Yes. Do you know how they do that? They're like little uh, fireworks, aren't they? Well, sometimes they're called squibs. Yeah. They're tiny explosives. They put them on the ground and they set them off with, with an electric charge. So there'd be wires running just under the dirt. Right. Yes. So they go pew, 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 pew as they ran, and it would look like gun, like bullets ricocheting off the ground near their feet. But there's another way to do it that I'd never heard of before okay. that I think they might have used here because some of them are in water, okay. right? Yeah. And a squib won't work in no. water like that. They're called Sweeney guns. Okay. And a Sweeney gun is like a paintball gun. Okay. But instead of balls of paint, you can pretty much put anything in the balls. Okay. Like dirt. Dirt. So if you shoot at the dirt, pew, it explodes when it hits. Or if you fill them with water and you shoot at water, pew, it when it hits, it explodes into water. Yes. So it works. So that's, I think that's so smart. Yeah. Gunfights are one of these great things that when you learn how things actually get filmed, you begin to see how much of an illusion your brain is forcing you to think. And, in, and how incredibly tedious it must be to film those scenes. Right. Because they use one technology to make the ricochets when you see them running at you and a completely different one if they're filming from above. So they must have filmed all of those running shooting scenes yep. over and over and over and over and reset. And the, the props guys and the stunt guys have to come out and the pyrotechnics guys have to come out and then they shoot. And again. that's with the principles. And then you have the bad guys who have to sneak a look out the window and shoot in a different way, like 30 times. Yeah. There's and a lot of net curtains that are apparently bulletproof. Yeah, like... Lenny hides behind the swing doors of the saloon. His legs are right there. Like, yeah. they're not even full-length doors, and never mind, they're just louvered. A bullet would go right through them. Yeah, like... There, there's this pretend every every solid material is bulletproof. Well, they, they have a lot of plot armor on, too. Oh, that's true, yes. So. Including poetry books. Yes, so... <laughs> Um, the, the most powerful plot armor poetry book. Um, but I like definitely in this episode, because I noticed all the shooting, I was like, wow, they spent a lot of time in that abandoned town, mm -hmm. which is obviously like a museum or something. Yeah. 
like running back and forth between doors. Or a movie set. It yeah. doesn't, a lot of filming happen in Vancouver now. Well, this is not actually Vancouver. It's still in Toronto. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I just thought maybe they would have something like this. No, because if it, was, if it was actually Vancouver, they would have at least done one shot where there were mountains. Mm, yeah, you're right. So instead of, look, there's the mine entrance on the side of a hill. <laughs> Clearly it's been closed down for a while. My father said he'd gone around Cape Horn and I only met him a few months ago. Don't touch my boat. <laughs> That's my little boat. And then the strangest reference in the entire episode. Oh, Germelhausen? Germelhausen. <laughs> <laughs> Like, wow, I was not expecting a Germelhausen <laughs> reference in this episode. I had completely forgotten Gerstacker's, uh, Friedrich Gerstacker's story about uh, a was town referenced that, in this episode. Yeah, it's about a town that appears for one day yep. every century, and a man who's walking happens to come upon it on the day that it's there. Yep falls in love with the girl and gets out of the village just in time for it to disappear again for another hundred years, knowing he will never see and, her again. In the great German version, he's left alone and loveless. Yes. Now, but it may a, have been the inspiration for Brigadoon. Well, so the guy who wrote Brigadoon. I know he argues that he didn't know about he it. He argues until after he the, didn't know about it. And there are tons of these stories yeah. of villages that appear but where and do the people go for the hundred years? Are they just frozen in time, like in another dimension? Do they get sucked into the ground? What what happens? Uh, I forget. In Brigadoon, I don't think they, they even must, notice it. They I must think. be out of time because <laughs> otherwise, like they they would age and have children and stuff buried under the ground, or what? And that wouldn't happen. Something. So. What's weird is just so Brigadoon came out, I don't know, like in the 60s, right? The film version of it. It was a play before then because it makes a great play. And now there's Schmigadoon or so whatever like, it's called. Imagine mm -hmm. 1850, 1960, and then 2060. Mm -hmm. Like the change that happened in those 300 year breaks would be freaky. Yeah. Yeah. If you appeared for one day every 100 years, you'd be like, what is going on? And what if something's been built there in that time? What happens when I, the village I, shows up? Does it just like topple it all over uh, or appear on top of it? Or how does that work? Why is this reference in this episode? Because it's, I'm a nerd and I wonder the wrong things. No, no. I wonder all those things too. But wow, this reference is just dropped in this episode and they should have stent the time instead of explaining that reference to maybe giving the four dudes with the weapons a name an or explanation a plot. of why <laughs> they're there who sent them whatever i think it's i think the um Grimmelhausen reference is there to show just how nerdy Murdoch and Lenny are together they're, that they're they both, both know the that same kind of nerd they're the same kind of nerds yep Yes, which is why when Vanderlei then is killed by the bookcase, the Al, it, accidental owl has a signature, and it's not just making murderers look like accidents; it's sparing one arm of his victims, right? Yeah, yeah. because it, the guy on the train, clue. yes, uh, had his arm out, yeah. and now Vanderlei has his arm out, and he's purposefully embarrassed him by putting a bad poetry book in his hand. It's like, you know, injury after, it's like, it's so mean to put, <laughs> to make yeah. it look like he was about to read horrible poetry. And then like this murder, the, the book, the bookcase murder mm -hmm. is totally out of midsummer. <laughs> it does happen in a midsummer, but they're not kidding when they say that William Topaz McGonagall is a really bad poet. My gosh. He's super, well super known bad. as an incredibly bad poet. Ex by everybody but him, I yes. think. So I have an example here of just how bad his poetry is. Is it okay so, if I read it? Before you read that, mm -hmm. I want to ask you a question first. Mm -hmm. Is this the first time you've heard of McGonagall? Mm-hmm. It's not the first time I've heard of McGonagall. Because the first time I heard about McGonagall is he appears in the Goon Show. Oh, and they make fun of him? Oh, boy, do they They call him a poet, tragedian, uh, and twit. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know about the Goon Show, by the way, you should know everything about the Goon Show. 
It was a radio show that was on in the 1960s and 70s that had not only Spike Milligan in it, but Peter Sellers. It had everybody in it yeah. at one point. Uh, fantastic. Like, Hilarious. we had no idea about The Goon Show. And then at a book sale, we got The Goon Show scripts, which were like 300 pages of Goon Show refer- uh, scripts. And we would read them to each other. Oh, it must have been and so funny. just laugh. That, uh, the 1990s incredibly fast loud band Ned's Atomic Dustbin comes from a Goon Show script. I didn't know that. Yes, Ned's Atomic Dustbin is fantastic. But. Yes, but but McGonagall's poetry is not. Are you ready for this? Oh, I'm just going to read one little bit of a poem. Also, is this about the Tay Bridge? It because, is. Because he has four poems about the Tay Bridge. The Tay Bridge fell. That's all you need to know, okay? While a train was going across it. Yes, okay. and 90 people died. This is the last of an eight stanza poem. Thank God it was only eight stanzas. Well, I'm only reading one, but he's so known for his bad poetry, and this will tell you, this will give you a great example. Okay, are you ready? Yep. It must have been an awful sight to witness in the dusky moonlight while the storm fiend did laugh and angry did bray along the rail, railway bridge of the Silvery Tay. It's hard to say. Yep. Oh, ill-fated bridge of the Silvery Tay, I must now conclude my lay by telling the world fearlessly, without the least dismay, that your central girders would not have given way, at least many sensible men do say, had they been supported on each side with buttresses, at least many sensible man confesses, for the stronger we our houses do build, the less chance we have of being killed. Sensible guys say that if there were buttresses, all those people wouldn't have died. Just saying. Like, that's the last of the poem. The end. About 90 people who died on a train in the middle of the night in a storm on a bridge. And he's like, well, if there had been buttresses. <laughs> okay. I, I totally agree. Horrible And the poem. rhyme is like a third grader writing rhyme. Yeah. It's, it's so bad. It's totally third grader say may like he's yeah. going through the thesaurus <laughs> the rhyming the rhyming dictionary yeah. yes the tay river disaster the tay bridge disaster is horrific if you get a chance there's a couple of really good uh youtube documentaries on it mm-hmm. can you're going through over a bridge in the night during, during a, a storm. storm and suddenly you're in the water yeah like it must and the mothman wasn't there. It must it wasn't have been fault. horrific. It was buttresses. Yeah, it was buttresses. <laughs> At least that's what simple, sensible men say. I confess this is because <laughs> <laughs> that rhymes with buttresses. So Vanderlei is killed by the bookcase. Oh, and only the Mountie and Julia know how funny this is. Well, then they further bond while standing over his body with his ribcage completely exposed. And it is the flirting morgue again, but Julia is flirting with Lenny. Yes. And no, oh, no. Oh, Shelly. Oh. Julia is flir- flirting with, sh- with Lenny, Lenny. And Murdoch is creepy. <laughs> He's like fuming, like. How dare you flirt with her over a body? That's my job. Grumpy Murdoch is grumpy, so I'm going to steal your book. (laughs) He he looks at her diary and everything. Uh, He's super creepy. So not only does this have weird German folktale references and strange poetry references, but out of nowhere, there's a discussion of Taekwondo. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Those mysterious Eastern methods of fighting. I'm so mad I'm going to steal your book. And it is the most Murdoch poetry book ever. Oh, yeah. A critical and explanatory account of the poetry of Lord George Gordon Byron and Percy Bysshe Shelley. Like, clearly there's a graph in there. Murdoch says his favorite poetry is post-restoration poetry. Yes. So this, which this is would... such a nerd joke for us English majors. Yes. Because post-restoration is after Shakespeare, yes. right? And it's Dryden and Samuel Butler. It's, it's a whole movement of poetry known for moderation, realism, and logic. Yeah. It's the least poetic it's, poetry. It is not... Shelley and it's everything that Shelley and Byron are rebelling it, there's against. There's no romantic 
at yeah. all in post-restoration. Yeah. So of course Murdoch likes it. Mysterious defensive techniques from the Far East. I box your ears. Pop. Yeah. <laughs> so Murdoch asked George for a favor, and George is up for it. Mm-hmm. You want me to beat him up? I'll beat him up. <laughs> Would you like me to beat him up? We'll let I can him beat know. him up. We'll let him know there's more than one way to visit the morgue. He doesn't have to be that pretty. <laughs> like, George is threatening to kill this guy. He goes all gangster. Wow. <laughs> we'll see if he's hungry for a knuckle sandwich, sir. <laughs> Maybe he could uh, fall down a flight of punches. <laughs> you know, make it look like an accident. And it... <laughs> It's so weirdly out of character for George. We'll offer to exchange his guitar for a harp. <laughs> oh, that's, that's I like one. that one. That's my favorite one, though, because I looked up funny euphemisms for beating people up. Because <laughs> <laughs> which the kind is of, now the name of the episode? Yeah, funny euphemisms for beating people, people up. Because that's the kind of thing I Google. Yeah. My favorite one will make him feel as welcome around here as a porcupine at a nudist colony. <laughs> <laughs> sir, pounds it. He doesn't do anything. If you want us to, sir. Sudden cross Canada montage. Dad. Dad. <laughs> Dad. He's my bad dad. He's your bad dad, too? Okay, first of all, a couple of things. Murdoch and Lenny, Lenny could not get across the country this fast. Eight and, days. Well, they have no, eight days. No, no, they don't have eight days because... Oh, they have like six days because yeah. it's eight days to the beginning of the case. It takes four days now. <laughs> By train? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it would have taken more than eight days. You're probably right. I wonder if they sat in the dome car and talked about poetry. <laughs> No, they fumed and had nerd offs the whole time. You have to. They understand. probably invaded the engine and told the conductor how to drive the train better with all their um actually. You have to understand that the first day and a half of train travel from Toronto to BC has you getting out of Ontario. Yeah, it's and just it's flat. No, right? It's, it's just prairies. Trees. Trees. And then trees, prairie. trees, 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 prairie. <laughs> Prairie, 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 mountain, bam. Mountain, bam. <laughs> That's, That's it. it. <laughs> like it is, my country is beautiful and I love it, but boy, is it boring in the middle. <laughs> I want to see what they packed. Like oh. what did Murdoch pack to make sure that he could one up Lenny on the trip? Like he would have filled his entire suitcase with gadgets that would make Lenny look stupid. Well, if I think Lenny was reading the poetry book yeah. at the same time. Yes. Actually, this guy, McGonagall guy isn't so bad. Here he rhymes confess and, and buttress. buttress. <laughs> he was into architecture and engineering. I think he's probably a pretty good poet. I, I just, I, I dislike Harry so much. He's such an awful father. Boy, and I can he's, use a drink. He's done so much damage to Murdoch that you don't even know at this point in the show, many seasons it takes yep. to unravel yeah. how much damage his dad has done to him. And he sits there drinking, acting like he's the center of attention. He's the main character of everything. Yep. And says, well, in my younger days, I was a bit of a seaman. And I just thought, well, you're something related to a prick. Yeah. Understatement. Like, oh, he's so awful. And okay, Lucinda Linney. Sounds like a wonderful woman. But, like, why would she have anything to do with him? I think she probably had his number pretty quickly and wanted yeah, a child. I guess. And thought, well, he'll go away. <laughs> I almost said F off. He'll F off real quick. <laughs> and probably won't come back. And I can raise this kid how I want to. We should. And she clearly did a good job. He's a, he's a good Mountie. He's a good person. We should have underneath all our discussions of this shooting. Pew, 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 pew. Because, wow. There's your sound effect right there. All, <laughs> all the time. <laughs> they... She had no regard for the legal bond. What? <laughs> Meaning she didn't want to be married to you. Married to you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They and, and Lenny and Murdoch spend this whole time concocting this big flashbang, right? <laughs> and <laughs> we, we skipped over it, but I love when they're saying, we don't have any weapons, and Murdoch is holding a bent fork. Yeah. Like, this has possibilities. You know, what this could I do with this? This reminds me of Julia. Yes. <laughs> but then they've got Harry 
scraping at a cup with it. You know, like, <laughs> so they can make a flashbang. And that's aluminum. Mm-hmm. That fancy new metal. Yeah, it's fancy. And so also they can go, kapang! And I'm deaf. I'm, I'm blind. blind. I've been shooting at you for days. I'm but, a minor character. Yeah. Mom, mom, I've got a part. <laughs> Where I get to howl and hold my ears. There, there needs. Where are, okay, there who, needs who to, are the shooters? Why are they there? I don't. My only guess is that Fremont sent them to kill Harry because Harry was going to do some investigating into this swindle. So, and now he's hired five killers. Yeah, to take out one one old drunk guy. Yeah, in a ghost town, it seems like a little bit much. Yeah. Whereas in Toronto, he just says accidental Al to take care of everyone. Yeah. I like that Lenny tells Murdoch that he should make it right with Julia. I do too. He's a good older brother. He's but, a big brother. Yep. But I had a problem before that. What? These guys, they get put in the cell. Mm-hmm. How did they get the cell door open? Well, jailers always keep the key on a hook just out of reach of the prisoners. Didn't you know that? That's how they do it. Okay. And then who's going to come get them? <laughs> I thought that, and then they show all the Mounties oh, coming to right. town show all the to Mounties. take care of business. Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. And Harry says, I'm going to stick around for a little while. Yes. Why? I don't know. We never see him again. I thought this he'd is... wander off right away. Yeah. Like, I don't have anything to do with this. Bye, boys. Clearly, you've got it in hand. I'll see you later. Yep. Jasper knows what the rule, what the what, the what, what is, and it's make it right with Julia. Yes. So suddenly, I'm back home. <laughs> yeah, eight days later. Like Ponsitz asked her to marry him by now. <laughs> we get no montage of no. Murdoch traveling home alone no. with his book of poetry with a bullet in it. Don't worry. In season one, three, episode one, he teleports to England. Yes, that's <laughs> so. right. It just starts out with them in England. Crabtree has spent the eight days productively, though. Yep. He has done enough research on Pounceet to write a note. Yes. That will have great impact once Murdoch sees it. Yes, because accidental Al's going to the USA. Yeah. And Freeman is theirs to... And they're going to put him away. Yep. That's done. Criminals, bad guys, taken care of. All taken care of. So now we got Pounceet. Now, what, what does instead this of pounding Pounceet, <laughs> George has written a note. He's taken some notes on his research, and he's convinced that once Murdoch sees them, it will change everything. I believe I know what the note says. What do you think it says? He says, Pounceet prefers Edison over Tesla. <laughs> no way! <laughs> we can't have that man near Julia. Or, or worse, Pounceet is also your brother. <laughs> <laughs> Pounceet said the battery display was boring. Pounceet no! feels the dinosaurs did not exist. No! <laughs> he thinks the moon is actually made of cheese. And there are little men on it. Oh, I gotta go, I gotta go do this now. I can't have her spending any more time with that man. I think it's romantic when he climbs up into the balloon. I think it's super romantic. He I shows think it's some weird. emotion. I think it's weird that Pounceet isn't planning to go with her. Why is he not? <laughs> what was in the note? He's gonna try to kill you, Julia, with a balloon. A balloon. <laughs> it's a beautiful balloon. It is a beautiful, and it's there. It's a real balloon. It's a real balloon. But like, so every time she sees him, has she been taking balloon lessons? So now she's qualified to fly on her own. Is that it? I guess because they just let her go. And I love how. Okay. <laughs> I'm always thinking of Greenland. So there's all these scenes, all these shots of her looking down at Murdoch, which is Murdoch's not there. It's the camera. Right. And him looking up at Julia. And that must be the hardest kind of acting. When, when you're, you're acting to the camera, when you're pretending acti- it's a person. Pretending it's a person. Especially a person going up in a balloon that you now have to jump up and grab. <laughs> what if he jumped up and grabbed it and it had just come down? Yeah. Like, well, we didn't plan for your weight, Fatty Murdoch. Fatty McMurdoch. It was just supposed to be Julia It's just in there. me and Julia and the duck and the sheep and the rooster. <laughs> that really happened. He's right about yeah. that. <laughs> of course he's right about that. <laughs> I wanted... I wanted Pounceet to climb in too, and then they could have like fought in the basket. Something. And Julie would have been like, see- not again. Not again. We never see Pounceet again, 
But we do see Julia leaving in vehicles at the end of episode. End oh, of seasons so many again. times. So yeah. many times. Yes. Where is she going? Is she coming back? Who knows? Who knows? Sad Murdoch. At least he's not sad this time. He's Contract with negotiations with Julia are not working. Uh, with Helena are not working well. No. Okay. Who's the best corpse? Breen, Vanderlei, or Dokes? Those are the three dead guys. Dokes we never see. So you can't Dokes choose Dokes. Dokes we never see. We never see Breen, but you do know how how he ended up with yes. his one arm. Yes. I'm going to have to say the bookcase because the bookcase is not moving or anything. No, I'm sorry. Breen, we do see. He's yeah. the butterfly guy. Yeah. Yeah. Vanderlei. You don't see dokes. Vanderlei is much better under the bookcase. Yes. With the one arm hanging With the out. hand. Uh, insert clue into hand. That poor actor had to lay there. Yeah. Pretending to be under a bookshelf. I'm sure they propped it up so it was nowhere near him. But yeah. like the one arm. Yeah, he does a great job. After the credits. Uh, uh, mom, mom, I got a part. There's four of them in this episode. Yeah. After the credits, all the bad guys go to jail. Yes. Right? Accidental Al is, is being sent to the U.S. to face trial. They're going to lock up Freeman. The The shooters are all in jail. Jasper goes back to B.C. Mm-hmm. And we see him again. Yes. But we don't see him again for 10 seasons. It's a while. Yeah. Yeah. And Dylan Neal, who plays Lenny, Jasper Lenny. Yes. He's been in a ton of things, he's, including Babylon 5. He's a very and, busy dude. But his latest, most considerable body of work. Yes. I, I know what you're going to say. Is a collection of Hallmark movies. Yes. Called The Gourmet Detective. The Gourmet Detective. Which I will never see. Never. If it's got never. Hallmark on it, no. I'm not watching it. We're not Hallmark people. I'm not saying that other people shouldn't watch them, nope. enjoy them, whatever. Yep. No, thank you. We are not Hallmark. As far reaching as we may go when we don't have Midsummer to cover, we will never cover one of these Hallmark romance and mystery movies. No. No. It's right out. No. Unless they want to sponsor us for a ton of money or something. Uh, even then. <clears throat> It'd have to be a lot. It would have to be a lot. Before that, he was also in another series of movies. I don't know if you saw this in your travels, but he was in the Shades of Grey movies. Yes, he was. Now, he didn't play anything Shades of Grey. No, he wasn't Mr. Grey or anything. No. Not that I've seen those movies either. No. Those can go right in the Hallmark box, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. They're different than that, no. but... <laughs> <laughs> They're no, as no. interesting to me the, as that. Uh, the, uh, stepfather of the main character. Ah. So. Gosh, she must be pretty young then. Yeah. I was very pleased that Stephen McCaddy, who plays Harry Murdoch, had already been in an episode of Murdoch, so we'd already covered his bad movies. Yes. Because, man, has he been in a lot of stinkers. He's been in a lot of stinkers. He's been in, like, 96 movies, and, like, 60 of them are five stars or less. Yeah. Like, now really bad been, ones. He's been in some good movies. He's been in some good ones, too. That one we saw. Pontypool. About the radio, Pontypool. That was a good movie. That movie is worth watching. Yeah. Pontypool. And he's Strange like the name, lead but actor it's a good movie. in that movie. Yeah. But I have a bad movie for you. Oh, okay. And Harry's in it? No. Okay. Because we've already done a bad Harry okay. movie. We did Sewer Man, I think. Oh, gosh. No, this movie has Sean Sullivan in it, who plays Oscar Vanderlei. The Man Under the Bookcase. Okay. He's in this film. Okay. Uh, and it's a 1990 movie. Okay. Um, and and here are the uh, taglines, okay? Then I'll give you the summary, because the taglines are too good. Okay. The ultimate teaching machine out of control. Or right. a government experiment finally makes school safe for everyone except the students. So this is RoboCop in school. Or hired to teach, programmed to kill. <laughs> An apple a day makes you dead. Staying after school can be deadly. Three ex-military robots are reprogrammed as teachers and secretly placed in a school where most students are part of organized gangs. They begin to respond violently to unruly students and their military training starts to take over. Wow. That's a horrible movie. And that's clearly a RoboCop ripoff movie. Yeah. The robots look very much like bad RoboCops. Um, and the students uh, look like they came out of... Um, like Toxic Avenger or Class of 1984? Uh, no, what's the... Um, an inner city movie with two with gangs. They're not. It's not West Side Story, but they... Um, they wear a lot of bandanas and like uh, red leather. Gangster's and, Paradise? 
the thriller video beat it? No. <laughs> Outsiders? Out. Oh, Warriors. Warriors, thank you. <laughs> the robots look like they, yes, came out of Robocop. And mm. all the students look like they're right out of Warriors. Like, not Including only. Including the baseball guys or just the leather vest guys? Well, the leather vest guys with the bandanas. But then there's also, this movie is set in the future. Oh, in the future. When there are robots yes. that can teach school, yes. obviously. So there's also like, I wear black makeup across my eyes in a big line. Oh, okay. When I go to school. Like Max Headroom rejects at school. Max Mad Max rejects. Yes. So what's the movie called? Have you seen it? I have not seen it, but I'm going to guess it's called Robo Teach. <laughs> Terminator teacher. <laughs> The subs. The sub. The su- <laughs> well, the substitute is a movie. I know. Right. But Robo Sub is the other one. <laughs> that, but that would be about a submarine, yes. wouldn't it? Oh. No, this movie is called. Now, I want to tell you, this was released in 1990. Yep. And it is set in the future. In the future. Where robots are smart enough to teach school and okay. convincingly as humans. Okay. Okay. Yep. It is called Class of 1999. Oh, so it's a ripoff of Class of 1984, too. Uh, yes. Wow. It has Malcolm McDowell and Stacey Keach in it. Oh, my gosh. How could I have not seen this movie? <laughs> and I tell you, I think the robot teachers lose just half of their faces. Just half of their faces, like 10 minutes into the movie. <laughs> And you know, so they have the bad robot prosthetics on yeah. one side. Oh, wow. Like, you have broken a school rule. You will now die. Wait, dude, I'm just five minutes late for class. You're going to die. There's a lot of students shot in this movie. Yeah. It is weird. And like. But it's set like in a building that looks like a, a school from the 90s. But then there are these just screens just stuck on stuff <laughs> because it's the future it's the future and, and all future is screen and people walk over to them and pretend to touch them but nothing happens when they do <laughs> oh wow no i haven't seen that movie and One i'm kind of glad for me I'm oh you're gonna watch it you're totally gonna watch like it malcolm dell I know. Do. He may be the highlight of the movie. But maybe not Stacy Keach so much. Malcolm McDowell is not one of the robot teachers. No, he's I would a good guy. That he's he's a real teacher. Yeah, as far as I know, yeah. as far as I could tell, having not actually watched the whole movie, which I'm going to save myself from. I'm yes. sorry you had to watch part of it. Oh, I'm not. It was hilarious. All right, that is the end of Murdoch. Season two. Huzzah! We're moving on to Father Brown. Yeah, yeah. From. Um, actually, Canadians to priests. Yes, we return to UK. Yes. In the idyllic town of Kembleford. Yes. Remember, even if you listen to our episode one, season one, Father Brown episode before, it is still worth at least skimming through the one that we are going to release next week. It's a remix. It'll two have weeks. Some, two weeks, sorry. It'll have some new content in it, yep. including five minutes of never heard before footage at the very end. Yes. It's not footage. If you're what is it? Audio. Never audio what? Never heard before audio. Audio footage. No. It would still be footage. Not footage. If when it was tape, it was still measured by the foot. Yes. When it was audio tape. Never seen tape in its life. It's audio footage. It's not audio footage. (laughs) It's five minutes you've never heard before. Anyway. Until then. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. Townset prefers, what is his name? Edison over Tesla?